Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. You know, sadly, we lost Leonard Nimoy last week, Mr. Spock. So it's been a wonderful flight of fancy this week to think about the real exoplanet worlds that have been discovered far from our solar system by the Kepler Space Telescope in just the last decade. From thinking the Earth was an anomaly, we've learned of the potential for millions of planets and all kinds of candidates for the formation of life. Our series this week has playfully imagined travel and even homesteading on some of these worlds. But the really important milestone here is the realization that we have come to a moment in scientific history when these dreams of other worlds are now grounded in hard science. Our exoplaneteers have the job of giving these planets as much scientific reality as we can muster with the little data we have right now. And one of our NASA planeteers, Dr. Natalie Battaglia, an astronomer from the Kepler Telescope Project, says the way Kepler discovered these planets is a scientific wonder all by itself. What we're looking for is the telltale dimming that would occur if a planet in its orbit around its, its central star happens to pass directly between the disk of its star and our telescope. If it does that, it's going to cast a shadow out into the galaxy that's going to sweep across our telescope. Our telescope is going to perceive that as a momentary dimming of light. So it's an eclipse of sorts, and we're perceiving the eclipse as a dimming in brightness. Now, that dimming is really, really tiny. Uh, The analogy I like to give is to imagine, like, the tallest skyscraper in New York City, and it's nighttime, and every single room is occupied, and all the windows are open, and, and every room has the light on. And one person in this, I don't know, 80-story building goes to a window and lowers the blinds by about a centimeter. That's the change in brightness that we have to measure in order to infer the existence of an Earth-sized planet. Oh, that's crazy. I don't know how old you are, but uh, when the uh, era of space exploration began for most people who are alive today, um, you know, it was events like Sputnik um, when uh, humans put satellites into space, and then there were uh, manned space missions and, of course, the uh, you know descent onto the moon, and there's a space station now. Um, all of those events really changed the way human beings look at the Earth's neighborhood. It suddenly brings these places closer. What do you think has to happen to people's minds? What do you think is going to happen to people's minds as more of the world understands this science that you're seeing firsthand. Once you start to think deeply about what's out there and how magnificent the universe is, uh, it's it's quite overwhelming, right? Uh, reality is so much more fantastic than we can imagine or than fiction. So uh, for me, um, it also makes me realize the connectedness of all things. I was blown away as an undergraduate physics major, you know, in those very first years of studying physics, to learn that we are made of stardust. You know, we we hear that. I don't know how many people really stop to think about what that means, you know, that that it took 13.7 billion years for the atoms to come together and make the portal to the universe that is my physical self. That's an amazing, tremendous thing, right? So, so, and, and when you realize that, you look around you at, at all the people on this planet and you realize how connected we all are. And tribalism or nationalism, the borders, you know, all of that just seems so silly. 
I think that it raises compassion and empathy. I'd like to see evolution of our species that's driven by that empathy. I think that that would be a major shift for our species. Do other scientists get impatient with the idea that some exoplanet tiers um, suggest that the number, the sheer number that Kepler has found extrapolates out to, you know, hundreds of millions of planets. And so therefore, billions, billions, right. So, So therefore, Carl Sagan can't be wrong. There's just no chance that there would be no habitable planet out there. Um, do, do all scientists kind of buy that? We don't know yet. We don't know the answer. So, you know, I, I think that's going to be, I mean, that is one of the things that drives me to do this research. I want to know the answer to that question. I myself kind of swing from one side to the other. On the one hand, it's exactly what you say. The sheer numbers, there are so many worlds out there. How could there possibly not be life? Um, on the other hand, the, you've got the rare earthers that say, well, okay, but, but you know, you need so many different coincidences and, and things to kind of converge and come together to make the, the conditions for life. Maybe it is rare. Maybe it is, you know, maybe life is much more precious than we think. You know, so I don't know what the answer is going to be. Finding a planet in the habitable zone where the world is potentially habitable is very different than finding a habitable environment, and that is very different than finding life. So we have kind of a vision for the next three decades about how this is going to play out and how to to make those different leaps, right? But it's only once you do all of that hard work that you really know the answer to that question. And so in some future explorer vessel. Uh, You and I will be sitting side by side with a map in front of us heading towards some destination and we'll be able to know it's more probable that there's a habitable uh, life form. Will it get to that point? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I can imagine it. I'm looking at my console and I'm bringing up the catalog of all all the exoplanets in the solar neighborhood. We know all of them. We've got this big table with all of these different properties. That one over there has plate tectonics. That one over there is tidally locked. That one over there has oxygen. Let's head over there. Well, let's do it. Let's do it (laughs) as soon as possible. (laughs) I'm ready. (laughs) Natalie Vitalia, it's been great spending spending these days uh, talking with you and some of your colleagues about the, the planets that we have yet to explore. Oh, it's been my pleasure. Anytime. Natalie Battaglia is Kepler mission scientist and a research astronomer at the NASA Ames Research Center.